Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have the one and only Rosalinda Diaz on the show today. So make sure you stay with us. You'll want to hear this gal's story. And we are back. Let me bring Rosalinda on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. This, good morning. <laughs> this is Rosalinda Diaz, the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hello again, everyone. <laughs> we tried to start this before and had a, um, a, a, a malfunction. So here we are and we're ready to rock and roll. So I, I mentioned to you before that I started this show. It's been it's been almost three years now. And hey, Edna, good morning. And and so it, it's literally I created this to help people have a breakthrough in life that that get stuck. And we all get stuck and go through crap in life. And um, you know, I, I think that by hearing other people's stories of how they went through crap in life and got unstuck. Um, I think that's healing. It's helpful. So um, let's start with with um, where you were born and raised. All right. So I was born in Santa Monica, California, which makes me a native Los Angelino. Uh, apparently, we are very rare. LA is a very transient city. Hi, Thomas. Uh, and um, or yeah. So yeah, so I grew up in an area called Silver Lake. And um, I had like a one block radius that was my domain as a child. So, you know, even though you think of LA as a big sprawling city, it was very idyllic, almost country-like where I, you know, I could ride my bike and, and wow. roller skate and wander around. And I mean, I, I was um, adventurous. So climbing the back walls, the easements of our apartment building to the other apartment building to get, you know, my shortcuts. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I grew up in LA in a, in a, uh, in, in a fun area, fun, creative area. So you, and you were just out riding your bike in the streets of LA as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I consider myself a city child, even though Los Angeles, you know, when you think of a city, you think like New York city and high rises and, and all that. And, and Los Angeles is a different kind of a city, but it definitely wasn't where I grew up. It wasn't suburban. I wouldn't say, um, you know, there were apartment buildings and houses and, um, you know, at a church and the high school, actually the high school where they filmed Greece. Yeah. To, um, yeah. Greece up the street for me. Um, wow. the, um, original I love that movie. movie. Right. <laughs> The, the original Walt Disney Studios was um, my grocery store. So at, at the corner of um, our street was a Mayfair grocery store. I think it's a Gelson's now. Um, and that was the original Walt Disney Studios. Uh, and then what's fun, and so there, there used to be a plaque there in the parking lot that said that. Um, and then on the other side of our apartment complex was um, these little thatched cottages. And you know, they just very out of character for the rest of the neighborhood. Um, very English Tudor looking, you know, like really with the thatch and the white panels with the wood and everything. And they were actually the inspiration for the Seven Dwarf Cottage for Snow White and the Seven Dwarf. What? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Do you feel like California has changed at all? <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot. lot of friends. I have a couple of friends out there. They're very conservative, and they're like, "Yeah, this is uh, the 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 Republic of California, or the 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 Soviet Republic of California." Now. <laughs> it's gotten a little yeah. crazy. I'd be hard pressed to disagree with you on that one. Um, yeah, it's very you know, it's really different. LA is not the LA of my youth, so. Um, you know, doesn't even you know, they say you you can't go home again, and it's it's true. There's just that time. There's a period of time where 
you existed and and then and then it's changed so yeah la yeah. is you know when i grew up it was very creative it was um you know, a lot of artists and, yeah. and it was interesting and LA feels really, I mean, and I think it probably always looked this way to everyone else, but it feels very um, superficial now, much more so than it ever did before. So, you know. I, I think I told you the story of me driving over to LA, right? And we went <laughs> right. out, we, we went to the Santa Monica Pier because I was like, I, I I just remember we didn't even I didn't even know I mean my wife's been to L.A. a thousand times but I had never been there and I'm like yeah. so I'm just driving I guess south on the on the freeway and 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 I'm like oh there's an exit for Santa Monica Pier let's check that out <laughs> and like I never you know I've seen it yeah. on TV let's go there yeah and, exactly and, oh my gosh it was it was really it was interesting. Um, there were things I remember on the pier when you're walking um, where you don't want to um, you don't want to have your little seven year old daughter seeing some of that stuff. I was like, honey, cover her eyes. Oh, my God. So but we went out. We went out to the restaurant. There's a Mexican or there was a, re a Mexican restaurant out at the end of the it was it was beautiful. It was amazing. So. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's, one of the it's, great it's, things about LA is that you can go places that you have seen and that are famous on television and in film. Yeah, and that's one special thing about living here. Wow! Look at this, um, Ben Gay, who is a legend. His wife, he said, my wife Gigi worked oh, at that Mayfair and lived yeah. in that neighborhood. Wow! Oh, we're neighbors. Hi, that's Ben. So cool, <laughs> and Gigi. <laughs> that's so cool so so um so you did you ever like okay so you went to school you went to grade school i went to an all good grade school called ivanhoe that was a hundred years old when i went there wow a so little little schoolhouse um yeah i mean not you know like you think of la you're like oh well, you you couldn't walk to school it's dangerous and whatnot i mean i was i'm not a morning person uh, ever. So <laughs> I definitely got dropped off, <laughs> but I would walk home once I was of an age, I, I walked home from school, you know, and it was, you know, through busy streets and I, I, I cut through alleys and, and whatnot, but I considered myself a, a, a bad, you know, what at that time. Badass. You, you can say yep. that. You, can I say that? A badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, some attitude. <laughs> would you, would you recommend that these days? No, I would not. <laughs> he said not so much. No. So, 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 okay. So you, you went to high school there and. No, no, oh. no. So, so that was elementary school. Um, middle, I did one year of middle school here in Southern California. I was accepted to a um, performing arts middle school. So that was the best alternative to the. Um, the regular middle school that you got funneled into that yeah. place was very scary and I did not want to go there. And I'm very lucky that I got um, through it. It was called, I don't know if it's still around, but it was called 32nd street magnet school for the performing arts. Okay. And it was um, uh, not in my neighborhood. It was uh, for LA people. It was uh, it's across the street from USC and next to the Shriners building. Um, so quite a far ways away. So again, I, my mom worked downtown, so I got dropped off and then I took the bus home. Um, it was an interesting experience for me. It was the first time, you know, when you're in elementary school, I mean, if you go through elementary school through high school with everyone you've known for your whole life, it's, you don't have this experience. But, um, you know, for me, all of a sudden I went to this school and I didn't know anybody. And um, that was a hard transition for me and would continue to be a hard transition for me through the rest of my school career. Um, wow. Yeah, you know, that was the place that I learned to love reading. Um, I did not fit in well. Um, it was a it was a mix of, of um, neighborhood kids that were able to go there and then other kids that got in and were bust in. Um, it was a, a great experience. I mean, we, you know, we had art, we had dance, we had drama, and I loved all those things. But the um, 
I just, it just, the, the students and I didn't fit together. So every nutrition and lunch, I went to the library. I mean, I made a couple friends, but you know, I went to the library and I hid <laughs> pretty much. Wow. Um, Why? And, it, you just, you felt insecure. You weren't accepted. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, you know, this is probably not a um, popular topic, but no one really talks about this. You know, I'm, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Caucasian. I don't necessarily look Puerto Rican. Uh, my name is very Hispanic. Um, so I got a lot of pushback from the other Hispanic kids um, that did not think I fit in Wow. with them. And it was a very, um, uh, Caucasian was the minority at the school. So um, that's just where the kids decide, you know, decided that that's where I belonged. Um, like I said, you know, I made a, a couple good friends, but most of the time I kept to myself. Wow. Um, I know you have kids, so I don't know if you've gone through this in middle school, but it was almost a daily, like, I mean, and, and, I, and I was, I was not a troublesome kid in elementary school, but all of a sudden you get to middle school and I was in the nurse's office every day. You know, I, I don't feel good. I don't want to go back to class. I want my mom to come pick me up. You know, it yeah. was, yeah. it was just that, that much trauma. Um, so anyway, so that's where I went to the library and you can't go to the library and not pick up a book eventually. So <laughs> I was a very slow reader and I'm still a slow reader. Um, but, you know, it was, it was painful for me to have to do book reports and things like that in school. So it wasn't a natural outlet, but sitting in a library by yourself day in and day out, you get bored. So I picked up a Judy Bloom book. And that was my initiation to becoming a lifelong reader. Well, and I, who's Judy Bloom? What's she write? Oh, Judy Bloom Steam, is steamy, steamy novels, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, her adult novels are quite steamy, I think. Um, oh, she has adult novels. She does have adult oh, novels. Oh, I but didn't she know writes, that. Yeah, she writes for um, kids, for adolescents. She's like the queen of um, of the adolescent angst sort of novel. I mean. You know, back in the day, angst is nothing about social media and things kids are going through now necessarily. Yeah, but, right. you know, the, the feelings are still the same. And she captured them beautifully about, you know, fitting in or, you know, like one of her great books is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Or, um, and I can't remember any of the other ones. I remember a great picture book when I was a kid that she wrote, um, The Pain and the Great One, about a big sister and a little brother, which I loved. Um, yeah, but so the my books books became my friends. So did and you that, have did you have siblings? I have a half brother, and uh, they moved to Florida when I was ten. He is four years younger than me, so he Who's was they. Uh, my dad, my stepmom, and my half brother. Okay, so yeah, did you get moved. you didn't get to see your dad much? I did not. Yeah, you know, oh. I was really reflecting. I've been doing some work around this um, recently, just emotional work. And it occurred to me that, you know, up until about 10, I had um, like an everyday dad, you yeah. know, um, it wasn't, he was in the house, but he would pick me up for school from school, uh, you know, to go to school occasionally, Yeah. Um, you know, and we would get donuts on the way, which is something my mother would never do, you know, it's such a dad thing or, yeah. um, or, you know, or I'd get dropped off there if I was sick or, you know, you know, whatever. He'd take me with him. We'd go get ice cream at Thrifty's, which is, used to be a, a drugstore. Um, and then at 10, it changed. And I didn't have that connection with my father, um, you know, on that, not even, you know, sort of a daily basis. He became telephone dad. You know, I talked to my dad on the phone. And then I would see him in the summers. Um, so again, my mom's a single mom. And what do you do with your kid in the summer if you're a single parent? Um, so when my dad moved, I went to Florida for like two months. Gotcha. But yeah. my dad was running a business. He um, went into the restaurant business when they moved to Florida. So he was incredibly busy. So yeah. I still didn't spend a lot of time with him, which, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, as I reflect, it was, that was, that was a really pivotal moment in how a lot of things changed in my life. Sure. So, so you went through um, that, that, I mean, I can relate to that actually. So when, when you, I think a lot of people can, um, when, so you went through that, you go through middle school. I can relate to that too. My, both my daughters, you know, my 
oldest is 15 so she's going into 10th grade next year um and it's just been awful for her <coughs> the way that the i mean kids can be just when i was a kid um you know it was a lot different there um, there were bullies um but you handled it right. you know a, in a way different way than than they teach today um mm -hmm. <laughs> way different way <laughs> um so you know and i and there were people that tried to bully me and that didn't work out so well for them but so so you know i i think that um it, it the obviously it's changed but so you go through middle school and then you got into high school were you in the same area in high school no so seventh grade i was in we were in LA and again that was calling mom a lot saying come pick me up I don't feel good I don't want to be here and um you know my mom was um looking around at life and just thought my child is miserable and you know my father had moved by that point so there was no blood family that would uh, necessitate us staying in Los Angeles so she thought you know what we're gonna move to Hawaii <laughs> So that's what wow. we did. Oh, that's right. You started to tell that story before. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, okay. You moved <laughs> like I said, to Hawaii. transition for a lot of years. <laughs> God, so seventh grade, you are 12, maybe? Yeah. And you moved to Hawaii. Yeah. Where you know everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. So <laughs> you moved to Hawaii. Your dad lives in Florida. That has to feel like it's on the other side of planet earth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I still, I still went there in the summers, but, um, Jeez. yeah, that was, um, yeah, far, far from everybody. Far from so your mom everybody. put you on an airplane in Hawaii and you flew all the way to Florida by yourself. Oh yeah. 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 Well, actually I was doing that, um, since my dad moved to Florida. So at 10, um, oh that, that was wow. a parental conversation that, uh, my mother, the battle that my mother lost. Um, and that was put her on a plane and, uh, we'll pick her up. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Flying alone from since 10. Wow. So, um, you moved to Hawaii and you, how, how was that? How, I mean, <laughs> talk about, um, going from not fitting in to really not fitting in. Yeah. <laughs> was, um, you know, I, again, I thought I was a badass. I was from LA. Um, and I wish I had a picture to just flash up here, but, um, so Doc Martens were popular. Those, uh, I guess they're popular again. The there were plaid hoodies and like and then like and like a skinny jean kind of a thing. I, I don't know. Everything is old as new again. Um, that was my outfit. That's what I wore. You know, to school. That's what, what I thought was very cool. Um, you can't wear that in Hawaii. You, you know, you get you get heat stroke. <laughs> but I certainly tried. Wow. Um. So, yeah, Hawaii. Um. It's clear I didn't fit in. Um, you know, Hawaiian people are lovely. The Hawaii is lovely. Um, but they get, you know, because of the military and whatnot, they get a lot of people in and out of their lives. And I think they're yeah. just a little bit more wary of letting people in to their circles, um, especially people from the mainland, which is what they call, um, you know, the continental United States. So um, right away, I just knew I was I was not going to fit in here either. And that chip that I had on my shoulder, you know, from being from Los Angeles was just knocked right off that very first day of school. I, I remember this girl confronting me on the bus wow. and just, and, and saying, uh, like just asking me a couple of questions and like she, and she got to her point and she's like, well, you have dark hair. If you were a blonde, I don't think you'd make it, but with brown hair, I think you'll be fine. And I was just like, <laughs> Oh my God, they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. Wow. I'm going to die here. And are these people, this is, this was a girl that was like native Hawaiian. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the friends that I made there were again, also the, the outcasts, the people that came from um, the mainland, people that had parents in the military, you know, we didn't live on or near a military base, but sometimes people choose to, to move out farther. 
we're in an area called Hawaii Kai, um, which is a gorgeous area. Um, uh, and so uh, eighth grade and then transitioned to high school in Hawaii um, to Kaiser High School, where an episode of Magnum PI was filmed, by the way, <laughs> long before nice. I went there. <laughs> nice. wow. um, yeah, so again, so that's where reading also kept kept me um, sane and, and did connected. You, did you run to the library again? Yeah. Well, you know, this I don't remember the I don't remember the library in the middle school, but I remember going to the library in the high school because we didn't you know, Hawaii was tough. Hawaii is expensive. It's not just expensive to go vacation there, it is expensive to live there. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, we did not have a car. The life got really complicated. Um, and I wouldn't have said that I was a spoiled child in Los Angeles, but you know, um, we had a car, we had a car, we could go places. And so you know, this brought my world down even a little bit smaller, a little bit more humbling. Um, and what know, did so your mom like, do for a living? What, what did my mom's a legal secretary? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so she, she, good employment. Yeah, she was working at a law firm then I mm -hmm. assume. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Wow. Downtown Honolulu. In the morning, it was she would catch her bus and her bus would go right in downtown. I would catch my bus across the street. I would go left to school. Um, you know, Friday nights, we're catching the bus a half a mile, a mile away to go to the grocery store and, and walking home, you know, carrying the week's worth of groceries. Um, it was, you know, it brought my mom and I closer together. Um, it, uh, it allowed me to understand a different way of living a way that I had never experienced in my life. Um, right. You know, even when, when I see people waiting for a bus now, you know, I always look in my rear view mirror and look around like, God, I hope their bus is coming soon, you know, because I know what it's like to just stand there, just waiting for your bus and looking at your watch like, well, I guess it's late. <laughs> wow. You know. I, I yeah. feel um, I feel like I'm missing out. I've never been on a public bus. <laughs> You're, you're not missing. You're not missing much. <laughs> I'm gonna go down. I I live an hour north of Columbus, Ohio. I'm gonna go down and try it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I was say, you know what? You, you know, Hawaii is a great place, so they have a really great bus system. So unlike Los Angeles, which has the worst public transportation of all time, I don't care how they try to fix it. It's terrible. Um, wow. Because LA is so spread out, you can't get where you want to go. Yeah. So. Um, but Hawaii, beautiful bus system. So, you know, uh, other than the inconvenience of, every, of, of it, um, you can really get everywhere you wanted to, wanted to go. Yeah. Which was great. So if you go to Hawaii, you don't need to rent a car. You could take the bus. Okay. Oahu, that is. We lived on Oahu. Um, I don't yeah. know what the bus system is like on the other islands, but yeah. Did you go to any of the other islands at all while you were there? Not while we lived there, um, but we had been. So my... So my father's mother, um, my grandmother, lived in Hawaii for a, for quite a few years when I was uh, very small, and uh, her and my mom had been quite close. So my mom and I would go visit her in Hawaii uh, for um, vacation. Yeah. Um, so oh, I had been to Oahu. Uh, my mom loves Hawaii, so we had taken a vacation, fam you know, family vacation. Family being the two of us, family vacation to the Big Island, um, and then since we've gone to Maui quite a few times. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. So how long did you stay in Hawaii? Did you graduate high school there? No, nope. Oh. The, the okay. saga continues of being the new girl. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, um, freshman year of high school, you know, they encourage you to go to the college and career center. Yeah. So I, I marched. I'm such a nerd. You know, I'm sure no one else did this on their free time. But I walked in there, you know, lunchtime or something and went through all the brochures. and. Um, saw a brochure for Pepperdine and uh and I and I vaguely remembered seeing Pepperdine on the hill in Malibu uh when I was living there when we had gone to the beach and I just looked at their brochure and I was like yep that's where I want to go to school Malibu. I went home I, Malibu oh yeah a uh, very expensive taste over here <laughs> now where where is Malibu in comparison to um Santa Monica um, yeah. So it's um, just up the coast, up PCH, um, depending on traffic, maybe like 30 minutes. North? Yeah, you could call it north. 
<clears throat> okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's secluded. It's lovely. You know, it's a very ritzy area. Um, anyway, so, that, so that's what I decided. I went home, told my mother, you know, she sighs and goes, well, you know, get good enough grades to get in there. We'll talk about it. So, you know, challenge accepted. Um, but going into my sophomore year, I think my mom looked around and realized that putting me through college was going to be an incredible struggle from Hawaii, especially yeah. if I wanted to go out of state. And I did. There's no part of me that wanted to stay in Hawaii for college. Right. So we moved again. Wow. Um, and this was a move that was, I, I would say, divine providence in those moments where everything goes wrong but you end up someplace that, that serves your next step. Um, right. You know, we tried Virginia beach, which is where my grandmother was living. And it just, and this is, this is a summer of transition. Um, you moved to Virginia beach. Well, so what happened was, um, is we just put everything in storage because it takes so long for things to get from Hawaii. So that it goes on um, a boat, of course. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, you know, no furniture, anything, just belongings. But I had like four dollhouses that God bless my mother. She was willing to transport <laughs> wow. around the country. <laughs> wow. we, we made them. Um, wow. Anyway. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we tried Virginia Beach. Um, didn't work. Uh, my mom's friends had come to Colorado. We went to Colorado. And, and we thought, you know what? Again, bought a car there and decided we're going to go back to California. But. LA was still not feeling good. So we're to try Santa Barbara. And you know, when you try something and it's, it's a round peg and square hole, yeah. and it's just not going to work. And it doesn't matter how much you try, it's not going to work. Um, so that was Santa Barbara for us. And that was a really bittersweet pill because Colorado was never, ever on, on the table. Yeah. Um, but a huge law firm had closed uh, in Santa Barbara and absorbed all the jobs. And there was just nothing. You know, and Santa Barbara is pretty isolated. I mean, you know, to drive from Santa Barbara to L.A. for my mom to work downtown would have been hours and hours and hours of uh, travel. And then um, so so we, you know, tail between our legs, drove back to Colorado, stayed with that friend. Um, there were a lot of jobs uh, at that time in Denver. And, and that's where I, where I finished out high school. Was in Colorado. Was in Colorado. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've mentioned it before, but um, so uh, I went to Columbine High School. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Before before it happened. Before. Yeah. I graduated the year before. The year before? Mm -hmm. So did you yeah. know the, the kid that did it? I, di I did not know either of them. Um, oh, it was two. Was it was two? It uh, yeah, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Um I did not know them. Um, again, right, new girl. And of course, I was a junior. They were younger than me, so I didn't have any classes with them. A good friend of mine had French with one of them. I had French with um, one of the girls um, who was shot and paralyzed because of her injuries. Um, wow. Really sweet girl. Um, yeah, and you know what's ironic is Again, this is not where we were intending to end up. Um, I started school two weeks late because in California at the time, you know, school started after Labor Day, and that's what we had been planning on. Um, school in Colorado started in August. So when we returned, I, uh, you know, junior year is the most important year in yeah. um, your high school career. I was two weeks behind. I needed to take... Um, you know, advanced, you know, more advanced algebra and um, what else? Um, physics, things I was not adept at. Um, but I remember distinctly because I have always attended public school and I attended public school at three different states. And the irony is this is the best school I ever went to. Wow. It, it, it was an incredible school. I mean, they had just remodeled it. Um, wow. So it was, it was brand new. I mean, the first thing I said to my mom when the counselor took us around, and I just remember walking into that first hallway and making a left, and they had um, windows in the doors, um, you know, those like little pier through yeah. windows, and yeah. looking in, and I turned to my mom and I said, All the desks match. 
<laughs> and I'd never been to a, never been to a school where the desks matched. It wow. was like, you know, like, you know, it's like, <laughs> kind of like, wow, this is a rich school. You know, this is going to be a good one. And it gave me a really good last two years of high school of education that allowed so, did me. You, did you know, did I, I don't, is this a morbid? I don't know if this is a morbid mm -hmm. question, but did you know any of the students that were no, no just the not. one the one girl that 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 lived? Yeah, yeah thank God. Wow, what a it, horrific event! But and you you know you were yeah. there the year before it happened. Um, mm -hmm. Did you were you, that that year? Were you still in Colorado? Did, no, so I oh, graduated. You, oh, you went? I went. I went to Pepperdine. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. got so in. You went you back. Know, um, Did your mom go back to California with you? No, she was in Colorado for another few years. Halfway through my college career, she moved back out here. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, calculus, uh, all the things, all the math. Uh, I, I mean, love so math. Oh, I love God. Yeah. I have, I know several people who are so good at math. They say math is a feeling. And I look at them like they're, an alien. Like, what yeah. do you mean? It's a feeling. It's yeah. the feeling of despair. <laughs> well, I don't love. I don't love any of it now. But science was what I. Ugh. But I so know. so so you went. You ended up going to Pepperdine. Well done. Um, yeah, you graduated you. from Pepperdine. You had a degree in creative writing. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the goal was to be an actor. And uh, many people questioned why I was not getting a theater degree. I had no good answer for them. Um, I think intuitively, I just knew that creative writing was where I wanted to focus my attention. But I thought I would be writing screenplays, not novels. Wow. Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, you're still very young. There's still time. Thank you. you might do, <laughs> True. You might I do a you know, you might write a screenplay that changes the world. So, so, so you, um, so you graduate Pepperdine and um, what does one do with a creative writing degree? I'm curious. Yeah. Go to work for the LA times. Yeah. Right. Um, so creative writing it's such a, it's so strange because it's not like a, there's no funnel that says this is, this is what you do now. And again, the, the goal, the goal still when I graduated was to be an actor, a working actor, preferably. Um, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. So I so I was an actor. Uh, I was not a working actor. Uh, Charles, hold on. Is this a replay? <laughs> <laughs> Was Charles uh, have had the same experience? <laughs> no, I think he was um, on on the, oh. the first interview we tried when when everything fell apart. Okay. Charles, this is where everything gets new. <laughs> yeah. So, so so you 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 have and you get out of you know I didn't go to college. In fact, I dropped out of high school. So I don't know what professors teach. Um, I know what teachers. Some of the teachers were shouldn't be teachers, but, um, but do they not say along the way, um, Hey, by the way, when you graduate with this creative writing degree, um, you're probably going to be lost for a little bit wondering what yeah. to do. No, good God. <laughs> I wish somebody had, I wish there would have been a class in, uh, Hey, guess what? There will be a lot of existential despair when you graduate <laughs> college. No, there was <laughs> You know, no, there was none of that. Um, yeah. yeah, that that that's where I think education falls down quite a lot. Um, it, you know, high high school and and college, there's not a lot of practicality. It's um, yeah. you know, you're learning the, you're learning. I mean, you know, learning how to write is practical, but there was no class that said, "Hey, this is how you you market and publish a book," you know, or or the, you know, the things that you need, the business things, and I always. I, what, what I, I'm just, I gotta get this part. I gotta get like in your graduation day. You're, you got the cap and gown. You're graduating from college with a creative writing degree. And you're like thinking, I can't believe I'm graduating. This is awesome. And I'm going to go. What? <laughs> like yeah. you didn't have a thought. 
I'm going to go write books now? Go be famous actress. Wow. At 22 years mm -hmm. old. Or, okay. Yeah. So I had already been um, in classes. So again, not, not a theater major, but I started taking classes uh, from a very wonderful and um, esteemed uh, teacher named Eric Morris who was still teaching. He's in his 80s now. Um, do you know Glenn Morshauer? What? No, Eric Morris. No, I said, do you know oh. Glenn Morshauer? Oh, do I know? I don't. You've seen him. He's he's got, And he's he's been an actor for 45 years. He's one of my best <laughs> friends in the world. And um, he's, he's, he's got to teach an acting school. He teaches. Oh, acting. yeah. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, um, there's a lot, a lot of lies when you, you know, when you go through uh, any kind of creative profession, but especially for actors. Um, and I, and I don't mean Eric's work because Eric, Eric's work is amazing and, and made me a better person and a more aware person. Um, so I will never regret the five years I spent training with him. Um, so that was my junior year and beyond. So after I graduated, I was still, um, studying with Eric. Um, so yeah, so it, so then I became, you know, an actor and, um, what do actors do? Actors get gig, gig work. Um, yeah. so I bounced around and, you know, I did, I did genuinely try to find, um, employment, uh, doing things I was well suited for, uh, for my creative writing degree. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it all ended up being things that, um, you could do or not do at the drop of a hat so that you could go audition. I definitely yeah. got fired from a couple jobs for um, uh, being creative about why I wasn't at work. <laughs> Cause I had an audition that was more important to me than going to that job. Wow. Wow. So, so how long did you do that? Man. Like 10. 12 years. So now you're, in your, now you're into your thirties. Yeah. Trying yeah. to be an actress. Mm -hmm. And were you getting some acting gigs? I was getting some things, some things that were small. Um, Commercials. Yeah. Nothing, nothing that it was like, wow, this is, this is working. Um, so again, <laughs> existential dread. Uh, yeah. That lasted a long time. Um, you know, I, I, I did think back, so in 2013, I think, um, I got my first book deal with the publisher. Um, and I remember my first creative writing class and our teacher, Dr. Shamus, had a guest speaker named Winnie Holtzman. And Winnie Holtzman has done a lot of amazing things, but um, she did Wicked, if you remember the, the yeah. Broadway musical Wicked. Yeah. So she came and spoke with us and, um, and she was, uh, I think an, an actor and a writer. And so I raised my hand and I said, you know, when do you know? Because of course, you know, I was freshman of college. So everything was possible and, um, attainable immediately during that time, right? Like as soon as you yeah. uh, leave college, I'm going to have the career I want and all that stuff. Yeah. So I raised my hand and I said, you know, how do you know which one to pursue? How do you know? And, and I will credit her for, for my sticking with my writing because she said, um, you do both until you can't, until mm -hmm. one takes over your life. And in my mind, that was like, you know, getting an A-list movie or getting a, a New York Times, you know, best-selling book mm -hmm. um that was not the case for me but it became clear as i was going through the publishing process with my first book that i couldn't devote any time to acting i could have devote the time to going through and and submitting myself and and all the things that you have to do as an actor because it's time consuming sure and i decided to put it down temporarily uh but i decided to put it down to focus on my writing to give my writing the chance that it deserved and um, never picked it back up again. Uh, and then consciously decided to, to stop, stop acting uh, years after that. But um, 
you know, that, that was, it's one, it's, you know, it, it was a question in, you know, creative or intro to creative writing, you know, but that her answer, her thoughtful answer just stuck with me. And that was the, that was the, um, the word I'm looking for. Um, Pivotal moment. Pivotal moment. Sure. Uh, advice. That was the advice. Oh, okay. Hi, I'm a writer. <laughs> <That was the laughs> yeah. Very creative one too. Yeah. That was the advice I needed in that moment to help me make that decision to step sure. away. You know, it's so many years later, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, you know, they teach you. I and mean, I've read really great books. Um, I think it was called the next happy um, about no one, no one teaches you to stop following the dream. There's no great wisdom that says, you know, now's the time to give up or, you know, like, Hey, here it is. And no one says that. And everything is, you know, never, never, never give up. Right. Which was Winston Churchill talking about a war, but they like to put it on everything or, you know, don't give up on yourself or just keep going. You're almost at the top of the mountain. And I will say that uh, sometimes those are lies. Sometimes those are not true. And sometimes those are the things that keep you on a path that is, is damaging for you and psychologically hurtful for yourself as well. These are the reasons I couldn't stop acting so much sooner because, you know, the, the adage like to believe in yourself and you'll get there, you know, I'm just like, I have tons of belief in myself, you know, so how could I stop? How could I stop? How could I give up this dream? Um, again, it's just something people don't mention. And I think it's, you know what? So if anyone's watching that has that moment or had to give up a dream or something like it's okay. Like maybe what you got out of pursuing that dream was exactly what you needed. Yep. And it was, it's a okay to step away. It's okay to find a new dream. It's okay to put it down for a while and never pick it back up again. You know, there is no shame or guilt in that. But society, you know, uh, likes to foist upon people that are really creative or pursuing something. Yeah. Yeah. don't give up. But I mean, yeah. you know, look, it's it's the truth. I, you know, I mean, I could suddenly wake up with this this great passion and dream to to be a a a, a number one player in the NBA, and and right. no matter how hard I try, at fifty two years old and six foot tall and slightly um, um, maybe overeat now and then. Um, I'm not going to make it in the NBA. It's not ever going to happen. <laughs> like right. no matter right. how passionate I am about it. So there are, there are, but I, I think that to your point, um, yeah, Sean says, is that why I still don't play the guitar or piano? <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> but you know, I think that, that you're right. There is a moment where you have to you have to select the path. And I think that that comes from trusting your gut, which I believe is God talking to you, right? Yeah. You have to be able yeah. to to listen and, and trust that and go in that direction. Like Henry David Thoreau said, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. So, yeah. I, you know, if, if it's not working, it's not working. Yeah, exactly. You know, and what, you know, and as a good example, what you said about wanting to play in the NBA, um, but, you know, creative dreams are, you know, actors or musicians, artists, um, so much harder to quantify that. Yeah. You know, so much harder. And because also you also hear um, so many, so often about people that are like, well, I struggled for years and years and years and years. Then I got my big break. You know, and that's that carrot. It's the carrot that comes in front of you. And you just, <laughs> yeah. you know, so again, and I didn't give up or I didn't stop and then not do anything else creative. You know, from that point, you know, I've written 11, I've published 11 books, um, you know, that that I, I would not have been able to do while being um, divided in my attention. There's just yeah. no way. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. you you so you in 2013 you published your first book with a publisher. With a publisher. Like yeah, here so you I, are not even a known writer. How'd you get a publisher? Well, um, so I wrote 
uh, bee stings in 2005. Worked on it for a really long time, did workshops and edited and all that sort of stuff, but was also sending it to um, publishers and agents all over the place. Um, Again, this is also another one um, for writers. You know, you hear about J.K. Rowling, who was, you know, rejected 40 times. So you think, well, okay, I'll just, I'm just i going to keep sending it out there. Um, and this was fortuitous for me, that I had a friend who was um, with this publisher, small publisher, but she said, hey, I have a good, a good um, editor for you. Because I, I, I had one book that I had asked someone to edit for me, and this was a different one. And I said, cool. So I contacted this person and she was the editor on staff at this publishing house. So she went through it and said, you know, I think it would be a good fit for them. You just have to take out the swearing. <laughs> so I did. Oh my God. And, you know, when I did, I, I went through it. I went, wow, there's a lot of unnecessary curse words in this book. <laughs> so, so you got a publisher though. So I got a publisher. Yeah. You know, and I, and I say it's, and this is the hard thing about being, about being uh, a writer, an artist, you know, you have these gatekeepers and at the time uh, self-publishing existed, it just didn't exist in the way that it does now. And um, you know, you get this opportunity and you think, Oh my gosh, I've been trying to do this for, you know, almost 10 years. This is my chance. I'm going to say yes to anybody. Yeah. I'm going to say yes to anything. And I do, I have seen writers over the years, um, but well, now it's a little different that say, you know, oh, I looked at this publisher. They didn't seem like a right fit. I said, no, I was never going to do that. So right. they offered to publish my book. I said, great. And at the time, you know, I hadn't written any romance novels. I don't consider this book a romance novel. It's, it's more women's fiction. And romance novels, they can churn them out. There's sort of formulaic. Um, their readers expect a lot of new material and that's what these people published a lot of the time and they had just started expanding so i was one of their newer authors and um we just didn't see eye to eye their publishing campaign was for different types of books um you know i had certain ideas and they didn't meet with them you know um it was very interesting and insightful to go through the whole publishing process and a traditional publisher that was eye-opening, and I don't think I could self-publish my books without having done that first. How many publishers turned you down? A bunch. You don't know how many. A whole bunch. A whole, I always I mean, wonder how 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 they keep the exact number, but you know, I I do you know who the <laughs> you know what the number one best-selling book ever is? Oh God, it's going to depress me, isn't it? It's not the Bible. I mean, it's the Bible's number one. <laughs> Number one. So number two is this. Right. Yeah. So Mark, Mark Victor Hansen is a very dear friend of mine and, and, and he, and they've sold over 600 million copies of that book. Right. Of all the, you know, there's, he's written 312, I think best-selling books, but Mark said he was, he taught in my class last week. And wow. in my in my Grow Live Academy, he came in and taught. It was he's such a good dude. But anyway, he said that him and Jack, Jack Canfield, yep. they were turned down a hundred and fifty-five times. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of the idiots that said no to that? <laughs> you know what though? Like they might had one of them picked it up, they might not have been able to reach the success that they've had. Right. Because a publisher you know, they have lots of other books and this yeah. is how we do the thing. And this is our formula. And, yeah. and, yeah. and it may totally have hit the mark, not hit, not have hit the mark for them. Yeah. And yeah. their book would be, you know, one that a handful of people have read and that was it. Yeah. So right. again, the, right. the, the divine providence where things don't turn, things are not working. Um, and you know how long that takes 150 publishers, especially back in the day, like when you were to mail things to people, I mean, yeah. even email, even email, uh, you know, six months or longer yeah. to hear back from somebody. It's a, crazy. It's, it's a good chunk of your life that you spend as an artist waiting for someone to give you a green light. And that's another you're, you're literally waiting for someone to say, we approve of you. We yeah. accept you. Yeah. I mean, talk about a play on emotions. Right. Like, and then am, you I the formula, am I worthy? Am I worthy? You get the formula letter back 
and sometimes they don't even like get your book right. It is like, dear author, so sorry we didn't want to publish. You know, that's terrible. X, Y, or Z, and you look at it and you're like, that's not even the name of my book. Oh my god! Wow, that's terrible. Yeah. Wow, that sucks. So, so you started publishing books in 2013. You've now written 11. Yeah. Published 11. Published 11. Written Published 11. 13. 13. Wow. The first book I ever wrote has not been published. Um, I love it dearly. Um, we'll see what I do with it. It's, wow. a, it's, a, it's a children's, it's a middle grade book, uh, chapter book. So uh, it's special for me. So how are things going for you now? You know, they're good. I'm... I'm always growing. I'm always trying to reach another level. Um, trying to, um, I'm not trying, right? What does Yoda say? There is no try. Um, improving, improving my systems, improving the way I reach readers. Um, all of, all of that. Um, when I started, um, publishing, I, I was involved in certain readers groups or writers groups on Facebook and they talked about something called rapid releasing. This is something a lot of romance writers do. And I thought, huh, okay, well, if that's what people want. Like maybe, hmm, maybe I could do that. And what's popular right now? Billionaire books are popular. Okay. Huh. Let me challenge myself. Let me see if I can do that. And uh, so I rapid, I, I wrote and rapid release. So published um, a set of three books within um, maybe five or six months, but I, um, as one was being released, I was writing the next one. So about four to five weeks to write, um, a whole novel. Wow. That was challenging. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so I know I can do it, you know, uh, I know I can do it. I, I did. And I did it for two series. So I did it for my billionaire club and my school bells. Um, are, are you saying billionaire? Yeah, billionaire club. Yeah, billionaires, millionaires. Who wants to read about millionaires? Ken, billionaires. I know, that's they're where a dime a dozen. So you're yeah. writing billionaire books. What? What's that? I don't even know what that means. What is that? So the billionaire trope is, um, you know, good-looking rich men uh, and their fun, fantastic lifestyle, and um, whether it's from the woman's point of view or the man's point of view for meeting someone. So my billionaire series, I, I always have to be a little different. Um, that's just me. I, I can't, I can't follow the formula exactly. So um, for instance, for, for my first billionaire book, um, his billionaire whisperer, we have a billionaire who's from Montana and comes to LA because he wants to start doing real estate development because he doesn't want to be a part of his family's cattle ranching business. So he's, I know, all makes sense in a book, Ken. Yeah. So, uh, and this is a real person. No, no, this is my, this is my book. Oh, (laughs) this is made up. This is all fiction. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, that's what's fun about fiction. You can do whatever you want. Um, you know, so he comes to LA and he's just not being taken seriously and, um, he needs someone to help him. And so in, in comes Bryn, who is a personal assistant uh, to a very wealthy family, but her boss has died and um, she's been fired by the children of this woman. And so her skill set, you know, is very good assistant, but she doesn't want to go be an assistant in a high rise building. She enjoyed what she did before. And a friend of hers sees uh, an ad, like a kind of a strange ad and uh, like, you know, puts puts her name in, she gets called for it and goes and beats this billionaire and her job will be teaching him how to be a billionaire, a proper billionaire in LA LA standards. Right. You know, so, you know. (laughs) Get the Montana out of the billionaire guy, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's fun, it's fantasy. You can do things in a billionaire book like, hey, we're going to go to London to buy some custom-made suits. Wow. Because it's a, because like you can do that in a billionaire book. You know, if I was writing a book like um like my first one, Beast Things, which is very rooted in, in reality, you know, I you can't get away with that. So the billionaire books are fun. 
That's awesome. Of, it's kind yeah, of a um, of, a pretty woman type. Very novel. much so. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And Love they do that. go to the polo fields like they do in Pretty Woman. So. Wow. Yeah. What's the so what's the title of that book? The first billionaire book. His billionaire whisperer. His H I S. His Bryn is um, the whisperer. Love that. Love yeah. that. Gosh, yeah. I haven't read a fiction novel in a long time. Oh wow. I and love I, I love fiction. I do too. I you're you're taking me back. I forget this, I forget the author's name, but I used to read these um the this this fiction novel of um this this guy what is it's a he's like a a homicide detective in Minneapolis um oh. i forget it's very very popular but anyway um i used to read this guy's novels and um yeah so wow you you're, you're taking me back maybe i need to and that you know i think that when you're reading fiction there's a lot of business moguls that are like, don't read fiction books, read, you know, stuff that, but I think what, what happens is because the, the, the creative side of, of the human brain is the right side. And mm -hmm. I think that when you're reading something fiction, especially if it's by a great author like you, it, it, it takes you to that right. It, it activates the, the right side of your brain and you can be more creative in your business and in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fiction reading is um, isn't just escapism. You know, it's like yeah. like um, and, and it's not passive. Like watching television is passive, right? So yeah, um, right. yeah it, it lights up different sectors of your brain and even um, listening. So if you ever listen to audiobooks, they've done studies where um, it lights up the same sectors of your brain as actual as, as reading does. Yeah, your brain is still still processing the story and still doing things in that same way. Yeah, fiction reading is is wonderful escape. You know, there's that's, a good, that's amazing. There's a, there's a great book I I, I um, recommend to everyone. It's a Stephen King book, and I haven't I'm gonna be a bad author until I haven't written read any other Stephen King novels except this one. Um, but it's called 112263 and it's about the Kennedy assassination, but it is about someone tr going back through time and trying to stop the assassination. And it is one of the best books I've ever read in my whole life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I've, I've never even heard. I mean, I know who Stephen King is obviously, <laughs> but, but I've not, I've not read any Stephen King books ever. Not one. And it's not gory. He's obviously an excellent writer and it just sucks you into this world. Um, and again, oh. it, it just, it just suspends that, that disbelief, right? And acting it's called the fourth wall, right? So it would be me looking at the camera. That's the fourth wall. It's where the audience is. Um, and when you, well, would we could go to the movies or when you sit down to watch a show, you as the audience member, or as a reader, you have that suspended belief that's been a disbelief, right? So you, I will buy into what you are telling me because this is what, you know, what is here. So um, he does that really well. <gasps> oh, thank you, Charles. <laughs> Anyone knows uh, someone at Hallmark, you know, look me up. <laughs> I, I'll bet, I would bet, I'll bet $100 that Glenn Morshauer is watching this right now. Glenn played Agent Aaron Pierce on the TV show 24 with Kiefer for seven years. Oh, my he's, goodness. He's on a current TV show called The Resident. Um, okay. He's got all kind like, he's 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 been in over 250 movies and TV shows, so. I applaud you. you Working you, actors. You know him, I guarantee it. You know I'm his face. I do. Um, but anyway, so he's probably watching this or he'll see the replay and I, I know he'll just adore you. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I think that, that, you know, and, and I cannot believe like I've been sucked into this interview. Um, so, so I can't believe we're at an hour. want to ask you a couple of questions. We'll go a little bit over, um, okay. Number one, and I ask these questions of every guest that, that comes on the show. So um, the number one is, in your opinion, 
Now the number one answer is fear. So you got to do, you, you have to do better. You do better. Cause I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah. I will do, get, yes. I'll do better. Yeah. Access that right side real quick. Ready? Um, so in your opinion, what do you think holds people back in life from achieving real financial success and happiness? Ooh. And they are related. I, I don't care what anybody says. They are related. Yeah. You take any any miserable person and dump a million bucks in their lap, they're yeah. gonna be happy for a minute at least, right? So yeah, um, there there is some relation. But what do you think holds people back in life? Uh, I'm gonna go with ownership. That's a unique answer. What do you mean by that? Um, I think ownership of your choices, ownership of your attitude. Um, taking uh, responsibility for yourself, for um, for your day, for your trajectory, and all those things. Um, I think ownership is is something that um, um, that doesn't get talked about a lot uh, because it's not popular. It's popular to blame a lot of other people for your life and your situations and. Um, there can be, you know, you you can have a lot of crappy stuff happen in your life. And at some point you have to recognize that it happened and that certain people were um, the causes of certain events. But ultimately it falls back to you to move forward from them in whatever way you need to. So taking ownership of your story and and how you and how you, you know, how you walk through the world, it's, it's 100% on you. You know, you're not going to die and God isn't going to say, well, oh yeah, your fifth grade teacher, uh, he was a real jerk and it's okay. <laughs> and it was his fault. It's okay. <laughs> you know, like, no, it happened and you got to figure a way around that. That's fifth that. grade teacher. I speak from experience. I had a horrible fifth grade teacher. <laughs> So, so, um, and I'm trying to remember what school that would have been in LA. LA. Been, yeah. yeah. Ivanhoe so, elementary school. So you, okay. So the, the, the other, the other question I have, um, it's kind of related, you know, 2020 was, um, a, a bad year for a lot of people. Um, and it was a great year for a lot of people. It was one of the best years I've ever had personally. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, the suicide rates went skyrocketed and, and, you know, a lot of people, um, suddenly found themselves without a job, without work, without knowing which way was up. If somebody called you and said, I've, I've tried everything. I've, I've, I'm, my electrics being shut off tomorrow. My car was repossessed. I don't know which way to go. Um, I'm barely hanging on to life by a thread. What would you say to that person in that moment to help them through to the next? You know what I think the most important thing for people to know is that they're worthy um, that they're, that they matter. So the, the car being repossessed is, is a thing and the electricity being turned off is something we can turn back on. Uh, we can't get another you. You're here for a reason. You're here and people love you and you matter. Um, and all of these things are, are, and and believe me, I know, and I and I know that that how devastating that can feel. But they are transient, and we can we can step out of it. Um, and I don't want to say fix it, but we can, you'll be able to move past it. You just have to get through this moment. And I think in that moment, you need to recognize how deeply you matter, and that you at the center of all of this uh, are still worthy, and worth fighting for and all that other stuff can be um replaced in time and there's a way through that's amazing great answer great answer 
I I am uh, I I don't know if you know this. I'm I'm an Amazon influencer, and um, I I'm one of a there's I don't know how many people are allowed to go live on Amazon directly, but I'm one of them, and it's it's a very very small percentage of the planet. Um, and I would like to invite you to be on an Amazon live with me soon. I would love that. And Thank we'll, you. I'm we'll, honored. We'll sell the doo-doo out of your books. And and <laughs> so so we we need everybody to go over to, to your website. Um, is all of your social media on there as well? No. I think my web guy said that the oh thank you, Tom. Um, that it was important to keep it all about the books. So it, it is not on there. Um okay. Well, you're, I'm a, I've been a web guy for 27 years and I teach Absolutely. social media. So you can yep. tell your web guy that I said he's wrong. You need to have your <laughs> social media links on there. <laughs> like That's, you know, that's what I always thought too. And I was like, oh, put know. your, put your, you got, so where's the best social media place for everybody to follow you? Facebook, Instagram. Um, yeah. So Facebook is a, is a great place to follow me. So, um, you know, back in the day when they're like, get your Facebook you know, address. And yeah. so I did, but I did it for my personal account. So you can't do just my name. It's not going to go to the right place. So what I came up with is, so, you know, facebook.com slash Rosalinda, the letter S, the letter I, and then my last name Diaz. So if you were to spell that out, it would be Rosalinda's ideas. Ah, clever, huh? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, that's how you get to me on Facebook. So Rosalinda's I D I A Z. Well, they can also follow your personal page. I mean, they, you can you can have followers on there too. So that's true. Um, everybody, go follow. Are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram. <clears throat> it's um, Gumption G U M P P I O N underscore and underscore Grace. We we have to we have to talk. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I, I, I need to help you with social media. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Rosalinda, you're awesome. I think your energy is just beautiful. I Thank love you. what you're doing, and I think everybody needs to follow you and watch your journey as you publish 1,100 more books and. Yes. write that screenplay and get on, get on with the, uh, the hallmark thing that Charles is talking about. You, yes. um, yeah, you're an amazing yeah. lady. So thank you so thank much you. for coming on and sharing and, um, yeah, I'm glad it worked out this time too. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody who's watched. Thank, thank you. you to everyone. A bunch of people did share this out. So thank you for sharing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah. So thank you, Rosalinda. Thank you, Ken. We'll see you guys later. Have a great day. Oh, and happy Good Friday and happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, yes. Coming up. So blessed Easter. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs>